Local news now. Analysis and reaction. Here is NL News Director Shane Woodford on 610 AM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Real pleasure to uh, have you guys listening in. It is a beautiful day here in Kamloops. A few clouds and blue sky, but looking good. we got a packed show for you. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, ticks and ants with uh, somebody who knows what they're talking about up at TRU. On the money laundering front, we heard from BC's Attorney General on the morning show with Howie earlier. We're going to hear from Dr. Peter German on this show at the bottom of the hour. We'll also go hear from uh, a spokesperson for a biker group that are coming to the help of a, of a little girl in Chase who unfortunately has been uh, the victim of some rather severe bullying. So we'll touch base with them. But first, a uh, real pleasure to welcome back into studio after an absence of a couple weeks, the Mayor of Kamloops, Ken Christian. Good morning, Ken. My pleasure to be here, Shane. So, good time off for one. Well, it wasn't really time off, but, you know, I was out of the city uh, last week at the Silga conference and a good chance to connect with the municipal colleagues from the interior and talk about local interior issues. Yeah, anything out of Silga worth chatting about or anything that kind of uh, come out of that or no? You know, there was uh, a number of uh, pieces in and around uh, wildfire uh, preparedness and, and mitigation issues, which are uniquely interior issues. And we also had a good chance to talk with... Uh, the executive director of uh, the addictions group with Judy Darcy's ministry about the uh, nature of the opioid crisis in the interior and strategies for dealing with that. Uh, there was uh, a number of uh, other resolutions that uh, we put forward. Plus, Bill Sarai from Kamloops yeah. was uh, appointed to the board there. So that's good news as well. Anything on the opioid front that, that kind of, because I know you've been looking for sort of a sea change in how we deal with that. Anything moving in that direction at Silga or no? You know, uh, there was a, a number of resolutions, uh, none specific to uh, that, but I think there is a general feeling uh, that what we're doing isn't working, uh, particularly in the big cities, Kelowna, Vernon, Penticton, Kamloops, uh, and uh, I think uh, uh, an appetite to look at a paradigm shift and look at de decriminalization. Uh, council, yesterday... Um before we get into some of those matters, one of the one I want to talk to you about uh, is this biosolids issue, which uh, is a fire starter. I mean, we're producing this stuff. We need to do something with it. Uh, yet it seems like whenever it goes in the region, people get super, super up in arms about it. Uh, we had a situation play out near Merritt. Now we've got a situation in Turtle Valley where there's a blockade. Uh, now we have a lawsuit from, from the company involved that's shipping this stuff, trying to break down that blockade. People are unhappy. The city's got to deal with this stuff. Uh, from your perspective, what do we do? Well, you know, I, I think, as I've said before, we're the victim uh, of our own circumstance here in terms of the improvements that we have uh, made and paid for at the Cowles Wastewater Treatment Plant. Uh, most of this material used to be suspended and it was discharged into the Thompson River. Mm. Uh, that was not good enough. And so we have uh, improved our wastewater treatment uh, to the extent that now we capture a lot of the suspended material and we have that uh, in the uh, plant and we need to get rid of it. So we used to uh, take that over to Cinnamon Ridge and uh, we would mix that and uh, use that as top dressing in a lot of our gardens and, and uh, park uh, facilities in and around the, the city. Right. We have too much of it now, really. So uh, we have uh, looked to Arrow and we have a contract with Arrow uh, to uh, get rid of it from Kamloops. And uh, we insist, uh, as we should, that they do it in accordance with provincial law, which they are. And uh, so that, uh, you know, issue at Turtle Valley is really one where the residents there have a problem with the law. 
I don't believe it's a problem with camelopes uh, or with arrow necessarily, but they don't like the organic matter uh, regulation and they want to see changes to that. And that is a, a legitimate position and that's a position that they need to take up with the government of British Columbia, not the city of Kamloops. But all that uh, being said, uh, there is a application for an injunction uh, and I understand that's uh, going to be decided on at least in part today in the Supreme Court in Vancouver. So, you know, we'll see. We're not a party to that uh, yeah. action and uh, we'll see where that goes. Does it affect city operations from the perspective if we can't truck it into this place to get rid of it? Is it building up somewhere? I mean, what, what does that end look like? Well, there are, there are two problems. One is that it puts us out of compliance with our permit in terms of storing this uh, at our site. Secondly, we're running out of room because, as I say, uh, you know, we have been much more efficient in terms of our wastewater treatment, and, and we're paying for it as citizens of Camels through yeah. our sewer utility. So uh, the other part of this that's troubling to me is that uh, last year in Camels, fully uh, 20 175 loads of sewage was delivered to us from the immediate area in the TNRD and beyond, actually. So uh, I'm concerned about that uh, on two fronts. One is that uh, it's inefficient to be bringing that here uh, from a greenhouse gas perspective, but uh, also uh, we have no uh, capacity to uh, maintain source control when we're accepting loads from outside of our jurisdiction. Mm. So that is of concern in terms of uh, compliance with the uh, kinds of materials that you're accepting into your wastewater. So we're going to have to look at that. Yeah, sounds all around like a crappy situation. So. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> uh, $10 a day childcare. Sharon Gregson has been a big adv advocate for this uh, for years now in the province. Uh, visited Chambers yesterday, made a presentation. Uh, long story short, Kamloops became the 56th local government to essentially throw its support behind this $10 a day childcare model. I was struck by, uh, she was in the studio with me earlier that day, and I was struck by uh, her telling me that locally here in Kamloops, uh, that is a nightmare for some parents of some children finding spots for daycare. Uh, so much so in, in the after-school situation, she said some parents have actually uh, had to get their kid to basically walk out of their, their school into a taxi, and then they taxi, uh, this is a young child, taxi across town to the only after-school care spot they can find because that's where it happens to be. Uh, you've thrown your support to this thing, but in your mind, how important is this as a local issue, and is there anything the city can do other than uh, say, hey, listen, we're behind this plan. Yeah, you know, uh, Sharon gave an excellent presentation yesterday, and it uh, opened my eyes to a number of things. I, I used to be in the uh, daycare industry. I was a licensing officer one time, and, uh, you know, the uh, issue is not about $10 per day. It's yeah. about quality child care, and uh, she was uh, quite clear about that, that it's everything from uh, access to child care, the various uh, stages of early childhood development, the vulnerability index, uh, wages for early childhood educators, and uh, certainly the quality aspect and shifting child care from kind of a social services perspective to more of an education perspective and, and moving the responsibility for the file into the education ministry. So it's really quite an encompassing uh, proposal that she has, and uh, she has uh, good supporting materials, and I think that's what uh, uh, swayed council to vote unanimously uh, to endorse what she's talking about and uh, what the movement is really talking about. In terms of you know what we can do here in the city, well, there's a number of benefits. First of all, in terms of getting uh, 
particularly women back into the workforce yeah. uh, in, a, in a more stable way, uh, that's going to be helpful. But, uh, you know, what we can do is very similar to what we perhaps could uh, or could and are doing with the affordable housing file, where we, we don't run daycares, that's, we don't operate them, we don't own them, but we can uh, help facilitate the creation of, of uh, additional childcare space by, you know, zoning that talks about buildings that are going to be so big, having, you know, uh, dedicated daycare space for operators to take over so that people will be able to find, as we densify our city, more places closer to where they live. So they're not going to have to drive out to Barnhart Vale or West Side to find a family child care uh, facility that just happens to have a vacancy. Does the city have any kind of grasp or scope on how many spaces need to be created to meet the demand out there or that's just outside of your... Well, you will recall, I'm sure, about January where we received a $25,000 grant and we have uh, assigned that to uh, study the uh, need and the deficit of child care in, in the various classifications, either after school, out of school, infant care, uh, special needs child care. So uh, that's currently underway. I don't really have an update uh, on the status, but I would suspect in the fall we'll have a pretty good inventory as to where we are in Kamloops for uh, the adequacy of the existing service. I've asked you this plenty of times before, but uh, it's been a couple of months in this land title office. Things kind of blew up. Uh, and I'll keep asking until I, we get some kind of an answer on it. But uh, to date, Ken, have you received any phone call, any emails, any indication from either the province or the land title office to say, hey, uh, we want to talk to you about this. We want to meet with you about this. We want to hear from you about this. Anything at all? Yes, I have. And uh, actually, as recently as this morning, heard from Carol Fair, uh, who is the uh, CEO of uh, BC Land Titles. And uh, we've set up a meeting and I'm thinking that it's next Friday, but I just was trying to check my calendar here, but uh, it just came in, and so uh, I will be meeting with them as council has requested. Okay. Would you like the province to, to come into town too, whether it's Doug Donaldson or the Premier or somebody to talk to you as well or no? We asked for both of them, and uh, so far uh, the CEO of BC Land Titles is the one that's reached out, and uh, if there are lingering questions after that, uh, I know when uh, I spoke with uh, Doug Donaldson, he said this is a uh, Crown Corporation and, and best talk directly to them first off. Even though he's the minister responsible. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Well, and interestingly <laughs> enough, I have uh, now heard from uh, BCLC and uh, we've got a tour date for the BCLC headquarters here. So it's a similar kind of thing. So right. with uh, Jim Lightbody and BCLC. Uh, last question. Uh, Ronald McDonald House is going to set up a satellite house here in Kamloops. Uh, I did some charity work with them down the Lower Mainland, and it is, uh, they do some powerful work with families that are going through some really, really tough times and some young kids that are dealing with some things that uh, none of us want to deal with. It, it's hard to spend a day in there without, you know, kind of folding yourself in emotionally, but uh, it's, it's awful that we need, have a need for these things. It's really good that they're there, and I think uh, it's good to have one of these set up in Kamloops. But uh, one's coming, I believe, 2022. Um, welcome addition to the city, or what's your sort of take on that? Well, mo most definitely. Uh, and, uh, you know, fortunately, I, I never had to avail myself of Ronald McDonald House, but I knew uh, people of Kamloops that did. And there were two things that 
they brought back. First of all, it was affordable to be with your child yeah. in Vancouver while they were undergoing specialized treatment at BC Women's and Children's mainly, or VGH. But secondly, they found themselves in the company of other families that were going through the same trauma, and that was in and of itself a very healing experience. So uh, I think the fact that uh, CAMS has been chosen for that uh, really reinforces that Royal Inland Hospital is a tertiary hospital for the region, and that, well, we're going to have people from 100 Mile House and from Blue River and Lillooet coming here uh, for specialized procedures. We hope to be able to provide that same uh, sense of, of security and healing that they do in Vancouver. Mr. Mayor, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the opportunity. That's Ken Christian, the mayor of Kamloops. So we'll take a quick break. We'll talk ticks and ants right after this. Radio NL, RadioNL.com, local news now. You're listening to Shane Woodford on Radio NL 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. Thank you for tuning in. Real pleasure to welcome TRU's Dr. Rob Higgins, who's an Associate Professor of Biology up at Thompson Rivers University. Good morning and welcome. Uh, good morning. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Uh, listen, you've done uh, a lot of research on, on ants, uh, a little bit of a speciality, and you're also turning your attention to ticks. It was interesting. I had a young lady in here yesterday who's been battling um, symptoms of some kind of chronic illness, which may uh, be be tick related, she's finding out now. So, but anyway, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're learning and what's the what's the end game? Uh, what what made you look into ticks and what's the hope for whatever research you're doing on that topic on the other end? Um, well, it seemed that the, there was sort of a need to take a look at what type of ticks we have in the area. Yeah, and I should say that Kamloops is an interesting area to do this because. The founder of Canadian tick biology, Jack Gregson, worked in Kamloops for many decades. Mm. I passed away in 2006. Yeah. Um, but we don't seem to know just how frequent certain species of ticks are. <clears throat> and different types of ticks are responsible, of course, for transmitting certain diseases. Uh, so this year I'm hoping to sort of focus on the diversity of what are called hard-bodied ticks. Um, and the Rocky Mountain wood tick is an example of that. Um, the type that we do certainly find on people. Uh, and next year, possibly expand it to include what are called soft body ticks. Mm -hmm. um, these are ticks that are a little bit more like bed bugs in the way that they behave. Uh, you find them perhaps if you're sleeping outdoors in the woods in the summer and they feed for a very short period of time and then sort of disappear, right. kind of harder to get a handle on. Now, uh, we're all aware of sort of Lyme disease. Uh, is, is that something that any tick can kind of introduce into a human being or is that specific to a certain type? And, and if so, if you kind of figure out what type is here and that kind of stuff, could it sort of better inform and, and be preventative in nature down the road depending on the outcome of your research? Right. So Lyme is something which is carried by a particular type of tick. Um, and, and we're fairly fortunate in British Columbia in having a very low incidence of Lyme. So yeah. just a quick example, every year in the U.S., they get about 30,000 reported cases of Lyme. Wow. Across all of Canada, about 500 reported cases. And in British Columbia, it's only about 6 to 12. Um, and the reason for that um, is probably because the species of tick that we have here that transmits Lyme, the western black-legged tick, um, <clears throat> it appears that it seems to prefer in lizards um, as its primary food source in oh. its larval and its nymphal stage. Yeah. And the lizards aren't um, competent hosts for the Lyme bacterium. Um, it's usually ticks that have been feeding on small mammals um, that will pick up and then transmit the Lyme. So the thinking is, but we don't know for sure, um, that the low incidence of Lyme in British Columbia might be because our particular species of tick um, 
doesn't usually feed on the most competent host for transmitting it. So the Western black legged tick, only about one, less than 1% of them have actually ever tested positive for Lyme. Do we, is there a lot we don't know about ticks or, or, I mean, are they a bit of a question mark or are we just starting to turn our attention to them now or do we, what's the sort of, what's our general knowledge about this particular little creature? Um, there is a lot we don't know. We really don't know um, what its real host preferences are, for example, yeah. or the western black-legged tick. Um, and that's generally true for many other types of ticks as well, especially those soft-body ticks, and some of them carry, you know, diseases of their own like relapsing fever. Um, and it would definitely be better if we had a better understanding of exactly how common they are uh, and where they might be found. Uh, you did a lot of work on ants. Uh, anything surprising on that front? Uh, those are fairly industrial creatures. I was watching a nature show the other day about a certain type of ant that just goes out in like a massive army across uh, the forage in their particular area and do unbelievable amount of work and then bring all this stuff back into their main nest. But uh, ants are odd and, and interesting creatures. Yeah, ants are truly amazing, you know, because of their social behavior. So what you're referring to are, are army ants yeah. uh, or driver ants, driver ants in Africa, are army ants found in South America and Central America, uh, which are truly spectacular in, in the way that they forage yeah. in blanket areas. Um, yeah, here in British Columbia, we have a lot of interesting ant stories. We have our Dracula ants, you know, where the adults feed entirely on the blood of their own young. Oh, my God. Um, we have um, ants here, honeypot ants in southern British Columbia, you know, that store food in their own bodies and hang from the surface of the tops of their nests, you know, to act as a food storage reservoir for the rest of the colony. Um, we have ants that farm aphids in the same way that we uh, ranch cattle, um, you know, here in British Columbia. Yeah. Um, and we have slave-taking ants. Uh, ants that um, attack other species of ants and carry away their young um, and live entirely on the uh, the work of those slaves. Wow. Unbelievable. What about fire ants? We any of those guys around here? Well, the fire ants, um, we have two types of fire ants. Um, the most concerning one is the European fire ant, yeah. uh, which is established in the lower mainland. Uh, we don't have it here in Kamloops. Uh, we do have one um, locality in Naramata. Um, but generally speaking, this is an ant that likes it wet. And the Naramata location is a little uh, odd, but I think it's taking advantage of a high water table. Yeah. But every year I continue to get calls and emails, you know, from property owners um, who are just unable to use their property to have barbecues to allow pets to go into <laughs> the backyard um, because they're being stung, you know, by European fire ants. Yeah. It's an ongoing problem. I was watching a, a show with Owen McGregor, and he, the premise of the show is he gets dropped in the middle of South America to do this camping thing, but he gets bitten by a bullet ant in the course of the show, which is uh, can be quite painful, I understand, hence the name of the ant. Yeah, the bullet ant, <laughs> uh, the genus Parapanera, um, and in fact, the, uh, Dick Cannings, who's the ML, um, MP, uh, Okanagan South, I yeah. believe, uh, has been stung by a bullet ant. Wow. And he told me that uh, he would have agreed to have had his arm amputated for the first four hours of that experience. Oh, my God. Um, it's an excruciating experience. Unbelievable. Um, I actually have an ant in my office right now, um, the uh, Maricopa harvester ant, um, which came in sort of accidentally in a shipment of ants, you know, for a student project. Uh, and it actually produces the most potent venom of any insect on the planet. Um, it's a little smaller than a bullet ant. Uh, so you don't get as much venom, um, but uh, you get ramping up pain for four to eight hours. The insect world, it's amazing. Uh, doctor, I uh, appreciate you taking some time and coming in. I'm happy to come in. That's Dr. Rob Higgins, who uh, teaches biology up at TRU. His uh, specialty is ants, turning his attention now to ticks. We'll take a quick break on the Woodford Show on the other side. We're going to talk money laundering with Dr. Peter German. <laughs> 
News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM, and RadioNL.com. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning and welcome back to the Woodford Show. Thank you for tuning in. Well, yesterday, Dr. Peter German dropped his latest report on money laundering and in course of doing so, dropped a lot of jaws around the province as well. This one focused on luxury car sales. A pleasure to welcome to the program, uh, Dr. Peter German. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Well, good morning, uh, Shane. I'm fine, thanks. I like that intro about drinking, gambling, and lust. I don't know if that was... uh intended for me or not i i hope not (laughs) (laughs) yeah no kidding eh? okay uh listen uh, dr german you've uh you've uh uh, raised a lot of eyebrows around the province for with your first report on casinos now this latest one on uh, on luxury car sales uh tomorrow i understand we could possibly see your report on housing and real estate but uh number one and off the top how complete a picture on luxury car sales and money laundering do you think you have i note in there that there were some dealers that would talk to you and there were dealers that would not. Do you think there's stuff that uh, that you weren't able to kind of focus on or, or quantify or nab in this report because of that, or no? Yeah, very good questions, uh, Sean. Well, for, first of all, we were given six months to review real estate, luxury, car, and horse race sectors. So you can only do so much in six months. But I think the intent there uh, from the Attorney General, much with casinos, was find out what's going on and... Uh, you know, report back to us um, so that we have an, an eye into this. Uh, so that, you know, there was no intention here to do a fault-finding exercise. Uh, it wasn't a criminal investigation. It was, you know, short and dirty, as they say. Find out what's going on and report. So we did that. We're comfortable with what we've reported. But like everything, um, there's always more. And, uh, you know, thanks to journalism and so forth, I'm, I'm sure other things will come out. I saw something just today that came out in, in one of the media outlets or, you know, print media. So, you know, that, that's that's the nature of the business. Considering the amount of um, reporting and regulation around the movement of money, you know, if I, if I go to my bank right now and I say I want to take out $20,000 or I show up with a, a bundle of cash, there's there's all sorts of questions and interesting things that are going to be asked of me, and that happens in a number of sectors. Uh, is it, I mean, why is it, do we have a situation where people can walk into a car lot with with literally a duffel bag of cash, uh, choose out a Lamborghini or what, what have you, and, meh, no big deal. I mean, yeah. I, I think a lot of British Columbians went, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, uh, well, in Canada, we've got this hopscotch uh, system of financial regulation. Um, so we have this financial intelligence unit in Ottawa, FinTrack, which does, you know, they're, they're, they're excellent people. They've got great software, and they've got hundreds of thousands of reports. But they only get reports from certain sectors of the economy, such as banks, credit unions, casinos, and so forth. There are other sectors that are completely vacant. They don't have to report. Auto sector is one of them. And uh, so FinTrack has no visibility on cash sales in that sector. And this goes back 30 years since the, or 20 years since the time that FinTrack started. Um, they've been exempted. Other sectors have been exempted. Boats would be another one. Uh, auction houses uh, are exempt. So with this hopscotch system, um, organized crime has the ability to move from one to the other. And, uh, and there's, you know, absolutely no visibility. Now, what happened is we described with some of the cash coming in uh, to the car dealers, the car dealers are allowed to accept cash, nothing wrong with that. 
uh, as long as they don't believe, you know, they don't have knowledge or it, that it is criminal money. And, you know, people typically aren't going to say, I got this from drug dealing. They may be suspicious of the individual in front of them, but they have no idea where the money came from. So they accept the money and then they truck it down to their bank. That's the interesting thing. We uh, outlined one example of a dealer uh, having three of his employees join him as they walked down to the bank just for safety because they had so much money in their bag. They then give it to the bank teller. The bank teller will receive the money, nothing wrong with that, and will no doubt file what's called a large cash transaction report. But that doesn't signify that anything suspicious has occurred, and the bank teller has no idea what took place at the point of sale. Most particularly, does not know who bought the car. All they know is they got money from a car dealer, and it's going into a reputable car dealer's bank account. So no visibility to law enforcement. Uh, another aspect of the report, the kind, and we're talking a lot about, you know, people bringing cash into luxury car lots, uh, which, were, you know, brings back memories of your first report, bringing bucket loads of cash into casinos. Uh, yeah. But uh, there was an interesting point made in your luxury car report. Uh, one of the dealers told you something along the lines of, yeah, you can move on the cash thing, but you're dealing with a problem that's eight or ten years old. Uh, the way cash moves has changed radically over the years. We're talking about foreign credit cards, wire transfers, all sorts of electronic payments. I was in Denmark last year. Everybody was paying for things by text message. I mean, this thing is evolving. Right. In your yep. mind, in order to deal with money laundering, uh, how do we, A, yes, deal with the cash problem, but also jump ahead so that we're not playing from behind and deal with the way this thing has evolved? Yeah, yeah. Uh, excellent question, Sean. So at the... You know, at, at one end of the spectrum, um, drug traffickers, organized crime, make most of their purchases still in, in or sales in cash. So they do have to launder the cash. That, that, that's still going to occur until such time as drug traffickers all take up other means of, of, of dealing with these things. And, and they, they aren't going to do that anytime soon because of, you know, the record that's maintained electronic transmissions. So that's one issue. But you are quite correct. The car dealers, once the pressure started uh, being applied in the casinos. Uh, it, it, it seems as if that also had an impact on the luxury auto vehicles uh, sales. Uh, so dealers are noticing fewer cash sales. They were still noticing them, but not as many as before. But what they saw in substitution were foreign credit cards being used. And foreign credit cards you know, uh, provide anonymity almost like cash does because Canada has no visibility on uh, foreign credit cards, particularly those that are based in, in Asia. Um, so uh, a person can get their money, uh, dirty money, whatever the money is, uh, money that's fleeing currency controls uh, in Asia. They can get it, uh, you know, in, the, in, the, in their credit card and, and purchase vehicles that way. So the dealers are now dealing with these foreign credit cards, and, and you're quite right. That, that is something that uh, law enforcement has to be on top of. The other thing was the uh, we're, we're seeing sort of glaring holes in, in police resourcing uh, on money laundering as a whole. Uh, but you made a point that uh, with all of these cars and God knows what else uh, being exported out of ports of call in Vancouver, Prince Rupert, and elsewhere, uh, that there is no specific port police force. It's left up to the police of that particular jurisdiction. Uh, often becomes a secondary issue unless there's a, a huge tip or, or something like that. Uh, you contrast that with the city of Seattle with a police force that is port-specific uh, of well over 100 officers. How important is it, uh, do you think, uh, to have some kind of beefed-up policing resource that is specific to our ports? Right. So, 
you know, I pointed that out. I was not asked to make recommendations in this report, as I was in the casino report. I was simply asked for findings. So I, you know, I pointed to the various loopholes. I pointed to the various gaps that I saw. And the, the Port of Seattle Police, I've, I've worked with them. Uh, you know, they handle both the seaport and the airport and do a very good job from what I can see. And they're a, they're a fairly large organization. In Canada, we had a National Harbors Board Police, which became Ports Canada Police, which was then abolished. And the whole thing was turned over to the police force of jurisdiction. So, yes, Vancouver Police does uh, police the port. Yes, the RCMP and Prince Rupert does police Prince Rupert. But that is not their primary duty. And even if they have you know, a few officers assigned specifically to, you know, uh, deal with issues arising. That's a whole different thing from being embedded. And yes, the RCMP will use some of their organized crime resources and and be in the port from time to time. But um, it's about orders of magnitude. When you've got thousands of containers uh, moving out of our ports, you don't know what's in them. And, And the CBSA is really our front line here. And CBSA tends to and they told us this, they, they are dealing more with incoming than they are with outgoing shipments. They're concerned about what's coming into our country and have limited resources and limited authorities, uh, it appears, uh, to deal with outgoing uh, cargoes. Hmm. Uh, just a couple quick questions to wrap this up. Number one, are you done? Are you going to have a phase three or no? <laughs> well, I'm hoping, and when you see the full report, uh, the second report, that you will see that you know we've looked at holistic uh, responses to these issues because the the phenomena that the minister described whack-a-mole could keep a person like me employed forever and that's not the intent of this this yeah. is my second report and as far as i know my final report um for for the for the government um so no the idea is to find holistic solutions uh, and but the province can only do so much a lot of it depends on the federal government because of our criminal law so you know there has been this liaison as you know between uh, Minister Eby and Minister Blair uh, federally. But, you know, the whole idea is that both levels of government uh, have a role to play. And my last question, uh, Mr. German, is uh, David Eby told me earlier this morning that uh, the hope is to get your, your, your piece on housing and real estate out uh, by tomorrow. Um, without giving the bag away, are we going to see more sort of jaw-dropping revelations in there or no? Gee, uh I guess we're going to have to wait till tomorrow if that's what the minister is saying. <laughs> you're you're a good questioner, Sean, but I'm not going to follow that one. <laughs> well, a guy's got to try, right? Yeah, good one, uh, Peter. Great. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking a few minutes. And uh, man, oh man, those reports are really something else. And uh, we wait to see what happens on the housing front. Uh, hopefully tomorrow. All right. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Take care, Sean. Cheers. That's Dr. Peter German. Uh, Thank him for joining us. We'll take a quick break here on the Woodford Show. On the other side, a a really important local issue. A young girl is going through some pretty awful bullying and chase, and bikers from Alberta are coming to help. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. The voice of your community. You're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. I wanted to end on an important story that's playing out just to our east here in Kamloops in the community of Chase. Uh, There's a young lady there who is going to uh, an elementary school who is really going through a tough time, a nine-year-old Samia Noor. Uh, She has been constantly bullied to the point where uh, her family is extremely concerned uh, about her mental health and her well-being, uh, as any parent would be. 
And in this situation, it's taken a bit of a turn because a group of bikers have come together to offer some support. A real pleasure to be joined uh, by one of the bikers involved from Bikers or Buddies Canada. And uh, just, to, just so people know, uh, his name is Art, but he does not want his last name used. And, and we'll get into why in just a sec. But uh, good morning, Art. How are you? Morning. How are you doing? I am well. And uh, you're hailing uh, from Calgary this morning. Yep. Yeah, we're uh, we're primarily based in Calgary with bikers or buddies. Yes. Excellent. Uh, so just so we know, Art, uh, how come how come you don't want your last name out there? Just so our listeners can understand. Uh, we deal with uh, we deal with uh, bullied children in this case, but um, I I work with several groups. We deal with. Um, some other stuff as well, and uh, we basically go first name basis or road names. Uh, it's just a, a protectionary measure. Uh, it's just a precaution that we right. take in this kind of in this thing. Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, a little Samia. I mean, uh, you guys uh, have come together in past instances, I understand, uh, to help out in a number of different fronts. But in this case, I believe this is the first. Uh, ride into British Columbia, uh, and it's going to happen this Friday. Uh, what was it about this particular story that uh, caused you guys to get together and say, hey, listen, uh, we need to get together and offer some help here? What, what really spoke to you guys about this story? Well, the background on this, um, this originally went to another group. Um, uh, so this story goes all the way back into last fall. Um, a group was approached. They weren't able to help. Um, a friend of ours, Andrew, from Bullying Ends, which is another uh, anti-bullying group up in Edmonton, uh, he actually lives in Kamloops and, and was approached. Uh, he looked into it, wanted to set something up to go into Chase. Uh, we do a lot of stuff with Bullying Ends. So Andrew came to us, and we had a conversation and went, you know what? this is important let's do let's do this ride and it's always important no matter when we get brought a situation where a child's being bullied we we go do our very best to act on everything that comes our way this case is particularly important because very recently uh, a young child here in in Calgary was bullied to the point where uh, the child committed suicide which uh, we weren't involved with this child, but when a story like that comes out, it very much hits home. For us, it hits home on the fact that we can help, we do go out and help, we need to do more. We, with dealing with that and everybody having that very fresh in their minds, when Andrew came to us, it was like, absolutely, whatever, let's do this. It was supposed to be eh, four or five guys. We were going to go out there and 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 just go do this. Um, in the course of planning it, it is completely snowballed. Um, we have twenty, I believe it's twenty is the count now. Riders going from Edmonton or, or from Calgary rather. Uh, several riders from Edmonton are coming to meet us, and when we get to Chase, obviously we have a bunch of local people, Kamloops. Chase area, Salmon Arm, that are coming out as well. So we're going to be adding even to that number. Wow. Uh, well, how, how big are these rides usually? How many numbers do you see in the past? It varies. Um, we do a lot of uh, school pickups here in Calgary where sometimes it's five or six of our riders. It's, it's whoever's available. When we put the call out to do a ride, sometimes it's the same day and five or six people can break away we've had ones where we plan them a week or two out and um we've had 20 or 30 riders we did one in edmonton with bullying ends last year uh i believe the bike count was almost 100 bikes um 
we literally, we came into the neighborhood. We took up almost uh, two and a half city blocks with parked bikes in this neighborhood uh, for this one particular visit that we did. So it varies. Part of it's what's the situation we're bikers, obviously. Sometimes weather's a factor, but even in the wintertime, we go out, we have uh, customized trucks, and uh, here in Calgary, we actually have a party bus from a local uh, uh, party bus company that we can use when we go out to do a pickup or go out to do a, a meet and greet with a, with an, uh, with a bully child. So uh, paint me a picture here. On Friday, you guys are going to roll uh, down the highway. You're going to roll into Chase. Uh, you're going to try and help this young lady. But what is, what is that going to look like? What do you guys do exactly? Well, this one's well planned out. Um, there's uh, there's a lot of background that goes into this. I'm, I'm the road captain for BAB, so uh, I get to spend a lot of time doing traffic planning and everything. When we roll into Chase, uh, we meet at a primary location. We organize everybody's got a everybody has something to do when we roll up to the school um in this particular case uh we have a large group that's going to wait for uh after we do the pickup uh we're going to roll up to the school with uh, several of our um our patched bab members uh we wait at the school the guardians or the parents uh, bring the child out in this case. Uh, they come out, they meet us, we say hi, have a little conversation with them, let them look the bikes over, get them geared up with their safety gear, put them on a bike, take them for a ride. Uh, when we're done the ride, we go and meet up with the rest of the group. Um, it's a big get together. There's a multiple, there's a multifaceted look at this. Part of it is picking up the child and, ta- and, and giving them a sense of there's somebody here that cares about me and that wants to help part of it is when we're there with a bunch of bikers lined up all standing with this child in a group around this child you know and it's happy and everything else it puts a perspective out to anyone who's watching this person has friends this person's cared for this person's not going to tolerate being bullied or being abused um it gives a lot of empowerment to the kids when we pick them up. They get to see the bikes. They get to really interact with us. We have a lot of big fellas in our group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they get to be around that and, and have that sense of security. They get on a bike and go for a ride. Um, it really gives them a lot of confidence. Um, afterwards, in this case, we're going to be meeting at the, I believe we're meeting at the public arena. We're going to have, I believe, close to 100 people there. There's going to be hot rods. There's going to be motorcycles. There's going to be our chase trucks. And it's a time for not only for us to help uh, Samia in this case, but if there's other parents that have questions or concerns um, or want to ask about it, they're more than welcome to come over and approach us. We're very easy to get along with. We're approachable people, despite the image. Come and talk to us. Tell us if you're having a problem that's similar or ask questions. You know, what can I do? We're, we're there to help. We're there to help anybody who wants it. Absolutely. Uh, I guess my last question, I mean, obviously the goal here is is laudable and, and we hope that this provides a tangible support. I just out of curiosity, in past instances, has there been uh, a sea change in how that child has been treated uh, in the past? You know, you guys have heard of a case. You've rolled up to the school. You've done your thing. Uh, the next day as this kid goes back to school, has there been a noticeable change in their quality of life at school? Has the bullying stopped? Yes. Um, 
it's not always perfect, uh, but most of the time what happens is, and it's not just the bullies, other kids who haven't had interaction with this child or they maybe don't even know the child, they're coming up and going, holy cow, all these bikers were here just for you. Like, that's so cool. Like, those bikes were wild. And the kids are excited about what happened and and the child who was bullied a lot of times is the center is the star and their confidence comes up their their attitude towards things they know they've got someone that they can talk to um we try to have somebody that the kids and the parents can reach out to if problems continue uh we give them coaching we point them towards uh literature and websites that can help with how to deal with things but most of the time, we get callbacks from the parents going, holy cow, the child's happy, they're excited, uh, they're having fun. Kids at school are all totally wowed out about all these bikes that showed up. It, it's just amazing. That's awesome. Uh, Art, I know you got a busy day, so I won't take up any more of your time, but uh, uh, huge, uh, huge congratulations on, on, A, picking up something as important as this. Uh, and carrying it on from child to child. It's uh, it's an awesome thing you guys are doing, and I really look forward to uh, hopefully a big change for, for Samia uh, from Friday on. Uh, but I uh, look forward to seeing you guys on Friday. No, I appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you. And, and i got to say this. Everything that we do is volunteer and donation-based. We have a huge corporate base that jumps in and helps often with, with uh, travel in this case. Uh, we have two hotels that have given us huge discounts on staying. If you're hearing this and this is something that, that hits home, there's, there's groups like us everywhere. Don't hesitate. If there's something that you want to do to help, reach out. We're always interested in hearing from people that want to help us take this further. Art, it's been a pleasure. Have a great day. See you in a couple days. Thank you very much. And that was Art. As a reminder, he didn't want his last name used, but Art is the road captain for Bikers or Buddies Canada. They're going to be in chase coming all the way from Edmonton and Calgary to help out a young lady who's being bullied in her school in Chase, and that young lady's nine-year-old, Samia Newer. And hopefully there is a big change in her life from Friday forward and that she doesn't have to endure the horrible bullying that she's received so far. That brings to an end this edition of The Woodford Show. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again right here on Radio NL tomorrow. Where the interior stays connected, this is CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station. Radio NL, 610 AM. Local News Now.